umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast the first podcast of the new year with clint derringer well clint it's not like uh it hasn't been hectic in in michigan football land first things first what are your thoughts on that orange bowl yeah, I mean, that was the, the nightmare scenario for how Michigan wanted to approach that game with Georgia to give themselves a chance to win. You know, we knew uh, going in that Georgia's defense uh, number one in the nation this year and, you know, perhaps one of the best defensive units, uh, you know, of recent memory. And uh, you just didn't want to fall behind and have to try to get out of your game plan and what you do best. Uh, which is to kind of grind the, the, the running game along uh, with a lead. You didn't want to fall behind and, and be forced to try to put up uh, points in bunches, and uh, that's exactly what happened. You know, Georgia scored on every possession in the first half, and uh, Michigan did not, and uh, it was it was pretty much wrapped, uh, you know, late in the first half and at halftime. And then Michigan came out in the second half, and uh, moved the ball and, and had a little bit of a, you know, kind of perked up and, and everybody took some interest. And then an absolute killer interception to, to kill that first drive of the second half. And that was that was really the moment that I think uh, that it was it was over um, in terms of, of trying to fight back and actually win the game. And then it was a matter of, you know, trying to uh, trying to keep fighting, obviously, for the full 60 minutes and 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 not fold up chop. And, and I think to Michigan's credit, they did fight for, for the full 60 minutes, but uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, that interception to start the second half was, was pretty much curtains. Well, I was at the game and, uh, you know, quite the experience to, um, take in a college football playoff. Obviously it's the first time that Michigan has participated in this format you know, there was a lot of disappointing things about that game, and there was a lot of really exciting things about the game. Of course, most of the excitement was in the pregame, and it just reminded me of how much Michigan travels and how much enthusiasm there is for Michigan football when they do well. I would say, you know, I, it, it's hard to say what the percentage was of fans there, um, you know, it was a short trip for Georgia, relatively speaking. But I got to tell you, it it definitely seemed heavily tilted toward Michigan fans in, in the stadium. And there was a ton of enthusiasm. I will say this, man, that place is loud. It was loud for both teams when good things happened. Unfortunately, it was much louder for Georgia more often because a lot more good happened. Um, now, disappointment, okay? Heading into this game, I watched a lot of Georgia football. They are a great team. They perhaps are the best team in the country. Uh, you know, that's going to be sorted out over the next couple of days. I thought that Michigan could hang with them, okay? I I really expected more of a dogfight. I wonder if, well, you know, I'm going to say what I think happened, right? I think that... There's always the the concern that there's going to be a gap between your last game and the bowl game, right? 
Um, you know, you have a different routine, different things come up. And a couple years ago, when Michigan played Alabama, okay, in the bowl game, I had a chance to talk to some of the Alabama players and ask them to compare what that bowl game was like with college football playoffs because, you know, they, they often go, right? And the attitude of the players I spoke with was, you know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but this is a business trip. And, yeah, you pay attention to the off-field stuff, but this is a business trip. We're here to, you know, and, to, you know, when they go to the college football playoffs, they're, they're there to win a national championship, right? And, of course, I'm speaking of the 2020 um, Citrus Bowl, right? And you could tell they were disappointed they were only in the Citrus Bowl, right? And that, as Michigan was kind of struggling in that first half, I'm wondering if the gap between the Big Ten championship game and the college football playoff game, if Michigan perhaps lost focus a little bit. And, you know, there was a lot of talk of awards and accolades and who's going to get drafted where. And it just struck me that, that I wonder if that's what happened, right? And and there's no doubt that Georgia's a great team, but I think what Michigan may have lost sight of was it wasn't going to be enough just to play as well as they did against Iowa. They really need to, to raise their game to escalate, right? Becoming a championship team is a process, and it's going to be interesting to see how the team reacts to this. Yeah, I think I think you hit on really what I would say is the key point that you know, when I summarized it uh, on New Year's Eve, for me, one of these programs looks like they've been to the playoff before, and the other one does not look as if they've been to the playoff before. You know, they, Michigan played in some very big football games. Um, you know, that that game at home against uh, Ohio State is probably the, the biggest game of. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's tenure, um, at least to that point, and you know, right up there for different reasons with this uh, playoff semifinal game, and uh, and they executed very well, right? But they they spent eleven months preparing mentally, emotionally, and 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 uh, physically uh, for that exact moment in that game, and they executed in that game, you know. So this. Just understanding how to uh, how to prepare, how to deal with um, all of the outfield distractions and the awards and the travel and uh, the holidays, you know, in, in between, and and being able to take some time off and come back and and pick right back up, and uh, and it's, I don't think it's just the players either. I think uh, I think the coaching staff also um, didn't have their best uh, performance uh, on either side of the ball. I, I just. I think that you know Michigan needed to play pretty much their best game to drag that contest into the fourth quarter and and see you know who could make the big plays and uh, I, you know I also would have said that probably whichever quarterback had the better game was likely to win because uh, I, I didn't I expected Michigan to stay committed to the run game but I knew Georgia was going to be tough against the run so we knew that that Cade was going to have to make some plays with his arm in order for that offense to uh, to at least match what Georgia was capable of doing. 
and we didn't see it. I, I really thought the game plan needed to be something similar to Wisconsin or, or Michigan State where um, the, the passing game really eased the pressure on the running game, and we just didn't didn't see it. And like I said, once the complementary football part of Michigan's uh, identity was kind of snatched away, you know, it just it didn't feel like there was any any possibility. Um, the, the Michigan just didn't have any tools in the in the toolbox there to to really make it work. So um, I think that you, you you hit on something. I don't think that the players were were necessarily out of focus or, or, or you know I I wouldn't use it as a criticism of the players of the program, but there is there's value in that experience and and that Georgia program was in the national title game you know, four years ago and has made you know, multiple playoff appearances. So the, the month of December, right, is they know uh, how that feels and what that battle rhythm is, to kind of use a phrase from Harbaugh. And uh, now Michigan knows that, right? And, and now, you know, that there is a foundation to try to take that next step. But, uh, you know, you got to take care of all of them, everything that they did well, in 21, they're going to have to do well again to give themselves another shot here in the near future. One thing that I observed that I did like was after the game, Georgia celebrating, and J.J. McCarthy, Andrew Anthony, Donovan Edwards, and Mike Morris all hung out to watch. And yeah, Blake Corum, too, I saw in that image. Blake Corum was, uh, was also there. So... It's one of those things where, again, suck it up, right? Suck up the hurt because it's part of the process. And I think you don't want people to lose track of how amazing the season was, okay? And I'll tell you, one of the things that irked me covering the game, you know, as media, which which was an amazing opportunity, okay, was... You know, there was a vibe in the press box of, well, we knew Michigan wasn't that good. And and that, quite frankly, pisses me off, okay? This team smacked Ohio State around. This team smacked Iowa around. That didn't not happen, okay? And just because they came up short in this game, um, in the college football playoffs, by the way, representing the Big Ten, Nobody was more disappointed than them, but uh, again, there's a there's a little bit of a of a, a national. Well, we we knew Michigan wasn't that good, and and even among some of the you know the the typical culprits in the local media, and you know it's hard to argue at the time when when you're watching what's happening in the field, but you also can't dismiss what happened against Ohio State or what happened against Iowa. So there was that, and, and again, it, it's. It's definitely a different vibe um, covering uh, a college football playoff game. You know, we've had the privilege of, of covering uh, Michigan at Michigan Stadium, and, and I've covered, you know, some bowl games and, you know, covered some away games. It's definitely a different story uh, as far as attention and, and, and interest and, and just electricity. Um, you know, you're in that stadium watching the game and you know that um as as was borne out in the ratings that you know when michigan plays win or lose people watch 
you know, there's a huge amount of Michigan fans who want to see them win, and there's a huge amount of people who love to see them lose, but they they do draw eyeballs. And, again, an electric atmosphere. Looking forward to Michigan returning. And, you know, you did mention, um, you know, that perhaps it wasn't the best effort all the way around. Listen, I love Michigan football, Clint. It's not a criticism to say what you see, right? It's I'm not criticizing. I'm not blaming anybody. Um, there's an excuse and there's an explanation, I always say. Okay. My explanation in watching it was, yeah, some of the play calling, some of the shifts weren't exactly there. And, and I'll tell you, um, you know, speaking of things I did like, um, one of the reasons this podcast is so late is um, I was actually out of the country right after the bowl game. Um, so one of the things I had a chance to do, you know, because uh, I do love Michigan football, even on vacation, is I had a chance to watch the broadcast, which I normally do. But then when I got home, um, my DVR had recorded the SkyCast, okay? And I got to tell you, I wish I could get a SkyCast of every game, okay? That was, it was disappointing to see such a uh, an unhappy result, but I really enjoyed, you know, watching the broadcast, hearing the commentary, and then watching the SkyCast. The SkyCast is much more my speed. And one of the things that was clear from the SkyCast is that it is not unusual to see part of your offensive line breakdown, okay? One side, the middle, the other side. And you can the quarterback can step up and, and move and, and escape, right? Man, our offensive line got schooled. They got rocked on almost every play. So... You go from a situation where offensive linemen love to run the ball and the offensive line entered the stadium wearing shirts, run the ball, right? That's what they've been doing all year. So you love to run the ball, you're running downfield, you're attacking. So then you're in a position where you're not running the ball and you're pass block, you're in pass protection, and you're at a disadvantage because you're you're automatically just kind of stopping and being attacked, right? And, man, those defensive linemen for Georgia, they were just teeing off. So, um, you know, I, I wonder, you know, there's both. There's two teams in this, right, Clint? There's one team that just got, you know, hey, we're the best offensive line. And I got to wonder if Georgia was saying, yeah, well, let's see about that, right? Well, okay, best offensive line. All right, here we come. And, man, um you know, taking my Michigan fandom away for a second, man, that was a clinic. Georgia just came in, and uh, you know, you hate to see it. You hate to see it happen to to Michigan that way. But um, again, they. Um, so the thing is, again, there there's ways, there's moves and counter moves, right? And I'm not sure that the coaching staff anticipated this possible outcome, and. You know, as much as, okay, another thing that's going to happen, okay, going through the pictures, you know, we had our photographer there and, um, you know, taking a lot of pictures of Aiden Hutchinson. And, man, they found, Georgia found amazing new ways to hold him, okay? But it's been that way all year. The thing about it was a lot of times they just ran away from him. And that's just a good game plan, all right? So it's interesting because... I think some of the things that Georgia did were 
pretty commonsensical, right? But man, they executed them well. They had great personnel. And, you know, the, the thing that really hurt as a Michigan fan being at that game is there were so many Michigan fans. And the crowd wanted to get back into it, Clint. I don't know how much it came through on the broadcast, uh, you know, with the sound turned up, but the fans were in it. Until it was over, they were in it. They wanted to to really explode and really get behind that, that team. And unfortunately, you know, it, it just didn't happen. And, um, you know, disappointing. I, you know, I... There are some things in the in the play calling that I, I scratched my head a little bit. Um, definitely some things on the defensive side of the ball I, I kind of questioned. But in the end, when you get, you know, one of the things I tweeted during the game is that Michigan was doing their best Iowa impression, right? Because they just got dominated. Yeah, I again, for me, it wasn't necessarily Friday. You know, it wasn't New Year's Eve. It wasn't that day. You know, certainly Michigan didn't play their best, and that's that's where it was decided because they had to play a, a pretty near perfect game to to even be on the same level as that that Georgia team. But it, Georgia had a better game plan on both sides of the ball, right? It, the first drive uh, offensively for Georgia, um, we we saw them getting some chunk yards on the ground first of all, which meant that they were having success. Um, against uh, the, the interior defensive linemen, and, and, and we saw offensive linemen getting up to Josh Ross. That was problematic, and then they finished that drive with some RPO stuff where you know they, they isolated our linebackers in coverage, including you know Jalen Harrell, our, our, our third edge guy. Um, and and it, was, it was clear they knew exactly how to use personnel to keep David Ojabo off the field. He had very few snaps comparatively. Um, and the other reason is, you know, we couldn't stop uh, Georgia on, on early downs, on standard downs, and put them into passing situations. So that was, you know, it was immediately apparent that, that their game plan was crisp and, and astute, and they were executing it well. And by the time Michigan had adjusted on defense, um, it was, you know, 27-3 to 3 at halftime. So uh, offensively for Michigan – um, they were really thrown off by the, the, the way that Georgia's front uh, plays and moves and, and confuses uh, the offensive line with, with where they attack. They don't blitz, per se, um, the same way that, that you know, some of the more aggressive defensive coordinators, kind of like with Don Brown, you know, sending everybody, you know, used to say send the, send the Huns over the wall. That's not how Georgia plays. They bring different people from different angles and, and what are called simulated pressures. So there's usually only four guys rushing, right? But they, they come from all different places, and sometimes they'll overload, and, and three of the four guys will actually be on one side of, you know, attacking one side of the offensive line. And they also um, used uh, something that gave Michigan problems this year, which is stemming right before the uh, snap of the ball, they would they would move, they would adjust, so they'd line up in one position, and then as uh, Cade would get ready to uh, to snap the ball, or as there was motion from the offense, the defense would all adjust their front, and it did not seem to me 
like uh, the offensive line was prepared to to handle that that movement. Um, it, it's not the physics of that movement that's a problem. It's identifying how that changes your job or if it changes your assignment. And, and we just were either kind of slow moving because the gears were turning in between the, the ears a little bit or uh, assignments were changed and one guy made the change and the other guy didn't, right? But that's there's a lot of – we've mentioned throughout this entire season that Michigan's running attack – had a lot of variation to it. It was really the same three or four concepts, but with a lot of flexibility built in based on the front that they would see and who was covered, who was not covered, etc. And when Georgia started moving um, so often, right before the snap of the ball, it was clear that, that it was given our offensive linemen problems, whether it was everybody was confused or somebody was confused, but it seemed to me like at least one guy was confused on on almost every play, and that is the opposite of what we had seen uh, all season. You know, the identity of this team was a strong offensive line who executed cleanly and crisply, and started with the run game and then made big chunk plays in the passing game. And, and when the offensive line get schooled like you did like you had mentioned then you know it's hard to reframe your identity on the fly and you know I, I don't know if anybody can do that it was it was just like I said it was a bad start and they were out of their game plan immediately and really no opportunity to, to try to come back against that team that's that's what uh, that's what the big time looks like right there and Michigan now knows where they are and and they know the gap to uh, to where they want to be to try to compete for national titles. You know, and I spent a lot of time watching the offense. So it sounds like I think people could get the idea that I'm um, blaming the offense for what happened. Listen, the what's happened all year is that the defense has been Michigan's strength, and it had provided the offense the chance to kind of get in gear, right? Um and what we saw was, again, the defense, you know, we can talk about the offensive line getting schooled, but the defense got exposed. And, and again, like you said, hey, this is the big time. And I think the same way that you and I are going to be breaking down tape of this game um, for the next couple months, I'm sure that Mike McDonald has already been doing that. And they will have a counter move for it, okay? There will be... You know, I, I think that, um, you, you know, we get so high on how great the season was. Hey, Michigan was 2-4 and four last year, right? And Mike McDonald came in, did a great job. And, and I think this is what I'm trying to get at, that there's a lot of um, disappointment over what happened, but it doesn't erase an amazing season. Um, and, and I think that's the, the thing that, you know, I can recognize where Michigan fell short in that game versus Georgia, but, you know, still can feel great about the season, and I do. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, what, if anybody within the program would have said in August, the goal for this year is to beat Ohio State to win the Big Ten title, and, and that's what we're going to do. 
and everybody would nod and say, good, those are the right goals. You know, like, we don't think you're going to get there, but those are the right goals. And, and they accomplished those. It was huge. A huge, huge season. It was a huge reset and, and bounce back um, to what we had seen in 2020. And um, a lot of the a lot of the changes that we talked about in the offseason, last offseason, and early this season that were question marks all came up looking, you know, smelling like roses, so to speak. So um, as excited as we were after the Ohio State game and then kind of validated that win with a big victory over Iowa, you know, I, I would take that season. I would take that season every single year without a doubt and, and, and die a happy man in terms of football fandom. So there's no way that anybody is going to, you know, change how I feel, you know, based on a, on a, a less than stellar performance in that last game, for sure. You know, that's like, like I said, had they played their absolute best game, they would still have been, you know, slight underdogs to, to actually win the game. That, that Georgia team is no joke. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how they do tomorrow night in the, in the title game. But this season was not only a success just, you know, on paper in terms of checking boxes, but, like you said, in terms of the arc of the program, especially as uh, Jim Harbaugh took over starting in the 2015 season, it was critical to get back to, you know, competing for the Big Ten title because there were plenty of folks inside the, uh, you know, Michigan fan base and outside that were saying that they were never even going to be able to get back to where they were in 2015 and 16 and 18. So, um to get back to that point and then actually get over the hump this year, get the big Ohio state monkey off your back, win the first big 10 title in 17 years. I mean, these are, these are huge program milestones and this team will go down as one of the best of, you know, the modern times, you know, with, without a doubt. And that season, um, I'm sure you and I will be able to look back and, kind of sets the standard and and this is the bar that we'll be comparing to going forward because this is you know this is the new standard for for this program and and the team right now you've got to uh you got to do whatever you can to try to repeat that level of success because that is what uh, that's what we expect i think as as michigan's fan base clint my criteria for every season is crystal clear okay beat ohio state win the Big Ten, win a national championship. Jim Harbaugh, for the first time in his coaching career at Michigan, did two of the three. And doing those two things put them in a position to be in shouting distance of that third. Now, it was it was a very far shouting, shouting distance, right? But, again, this heading into the season, this is as good of a result as we could have anticipated. It's much better than you, than you and I hope for. Right. And again, it was a great ride. So, um, you know, and again, you can, you can kind of hear the disappointment of my voice because man, you, you had a shot, right? You were there, you had a puncher's chance and boy, it's, it was, it was really disheartening to see what happened, but you were still there. And there's not a, you know, there's, over a hundred teams in the country that would have loved to have had that spot and Michigan was there. So again, it's part of the process. You and I will be talking a lot more about what Michigan needs to do 
to retool. And, and, and you know, one of the big things, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to talk next about Coach Harbaugh. And, you know, number one is, hey, you know, after last season, he took a huge pay cut. And a lot of people thought that it was deserved. And, um, you know, it's being described as a take it or leave it offer. And he took it. And he bet on himself. And he he achieved, right? So it's interesting because we go from a year ago where a certain amount of the, the fan base was like, well, let him go. Now, oh, my God, what's going to happen if Harbaugh leaves, right? And, again, I think, um, you know, with what happened with the contract, a lot of people are wringing their hands right now that, oh, my gosh, he's listening to offers from the NFL. Of course he is because he took a pay cut, okay? And, you know, Clint, you and I have talked about this, you know, offline a lot. Um, You know, and and I'm just going to, you know, give the background, you know, where I come from, right? Listen, Coach Harbaugh made – a ton of money playing in the NFL. He's invested well, right? He's made a lot of money in his coaching career. This is not about money, okay, per se. I mean, at this point, um, when you're as successful as he is, it's, you're really talking about monopoly money, right? But it's about respect and about control. He has absolute control at Michigan right now, okay? We've talked about this over the years. Uh, there's a lot of people who didn't respect him last year. And um, now he's in a position where, you know, if you believe what's been reported, that he's told recruits that he's going to listen to the NFL. Um, and I can understand why he is. Yeah, I, I don't think I think anybody would be crazy not to listen to, to what their options are coming off of a, a year where your your contract was renegotiated and your your salary was cut in half from from the way that it appeared to me and the way that you and I discussed it kind of offline you know when when Harbaugh was in his situation a year ago you know January of 21 when he wanted to find out what the market was um in the NFL Right, because I don't think that he envisions himself taking another college job. It's usually, you know, if there's a market for Jim Harbaugh, it's likely that the jump back to the NFL that is going to drive the conversation. And when when that feedback at this time last year certainly wasn't as positive as he would have liked. So not only did uh, the national college football media kind of sour and start questioning. Harbaugh's ability. Not only was it, you know, some less than patient folks in the fan base that kind of soured on on Harbaugh's ability to lead the program, but I don't think that he was all that happy with the lack of interest that that may or may not have come from NFL teams at this time. To where he may have been over the barrel a little bit with with the contract that Ward Manuel had put together. And I uh, eventually took that. So if, if you were to say that, okay, I, I'm in this spot, but the next time that we're at the negotiating table, I'm not going to be over the barrel, right? And that, trying to think like a, like a competitor, like a, uh, you know, like a person that is 
so confident in himself that he uh, kind of acts as his own agent and negotiating agent like Harbaugh does, you would imagine that that, that feeling at this time last year was, was very uncomfortable having almost none of the power at the negotiating table. And you and I discussed that a little bit, I think, right after the, the contract was signed. And this year, obviously, that, that dynamic is flipped. So really ratcheting up the pressure and, and the volume on what rumors there are to give um, him that leverage, I think it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense on its face that, you know, who knows if he actually wants to make a return to the NFL then he would certainly rather leave Michigan in a good place and with, uh, you know, go out a winner. So if he were to make the jump, if that's in his plan at all, then it would be coming off of a season like this that he would want to do it, certainly. But more so, I think it's about really being honest, you know, having an honest conversation and a pretty frank conversation with the athletic department and Ward Manual about how things went last year, how do you avoid um, the situation, and then how do, you, how do they feel uh, that the landscape of, of the sport, college football, has shifted so much in the last couple of years? What is it going to take for, for Harbaugh to continue to build and uh, you know, not only sustain the success that they had in the Big Ten this year, but what gaps need to be closed to be more competitive on the national stage against programs like Georgia. So there's a lot going on there and, and nobody again can speak for Harbaugh because he acts as his own agent. So there's a lot of conjecture and, and third hand uh, storytelling. Um, But again, for me, his actions always speak pretty clearly and, and when he does actually make public statements, I tend to uh, to believe him exactly what he says. I, I have yet to see where he has been deceptive publicly, right? He's he has been uh, reserved and he's been you know obstinate where he won't answer a question. But when he does answer a question or he does make a statement, I still you know for the now seven years running, I still have no reason not to believe what the guy says publicly. So there was a lot of positivity at the bowl press conferences. Um, the, the, the salary cut came up multiple times. He was pretty dismissive of, of the dollars. He says, it's just money. I do this job for free. You know, I, I was happy to, to give money back to the athletic program so that people who had to take mandatory pay cuts in the athletic department could be, be made whole. You know, it's like you said, it's not about the dollar amount. So when when he says that stuff, I think it's positive, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that need to get uh, corrected or, or shored up over the short term and the long term within his contract. And that includes potentially, you know, um, assistant coaching, salary and pool increases. Um, he's got some, some, some more hire to make in this off season. And then how is Michigan going to leverage um, the NIL rules 
that now exist and the transfer rules that now exist uh, in order to sustain their success and continue being competitive. So again, there's a lot there, right? Um, I like that you mentioned what he said, hey, I'd do this job for free. And what's interesting is that I don't think that the media always sees the larger picture, right? That you do have a guy who, who again, he's made a lot of money, right? And I think if there's a lightning strike and he does leave, the story will be on ESPN, oh my gosh, Jim Harbaugh gets huge contract. That's not it, okay? It won't be it. It will be, again, these other things that have to be addressed. And one thing that's, it, okay, it, it is obvious. And I, and I alluded to this a little bit in what I observed, you know, in the media conversations at the Orange Bowl. Jim Harbaugh is a lightning rod, for good or bad. Right. And he whatever he does, there are going to be certain people who think it's great. A lot of them are Michigan fans and there's going to be a lot of people who don't think it's great. And I think that, you know, you say, well, he he bet on himself. Yes, that's Harbaugh. He is he is supremely self-confident. And that's one of the things that people, you know, that one of the things that people are irritated by. He bet on himself. He's not surprised. He, he thinks I, I, you know, I'm not speaking for him, but I think his attitude is, well, this is just bound to happen, you know, and here it is. And you and I wish this had happened two or three years ago, but here we are. Right. Mm -hmm. So the question is, all right, um, what kind of contract and what can Ward Manuel do to show some love? Right. And, and again, this is where I'm going to push back. Well, he makes a lot of money. Okay, listen, forget the money. Okay. What can you show? What can you do? And, you know, there's a lot of ways to get creative. The landscape of the game is changing. Okay. NIL, transfer, all these different things. I think it's safe to say that Michigan is trailing. Okay. Now, this doesn't surprise me. Okay. I have been told repeatedly by people close to the program over the years, because I've been the person and a number of times banging the drum, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? I've been told repeatedly by people very close to people running the program, Michigan is never the first. They want to be the best. Okay? They will let people move forward and make mistakes, and then they will do what they're going to do. And, um, you know, we talk about the seat licenses. Oh, I'm sorry, the mandatory donations, right? Michigan wasn't the first in that, but they got around to it. Michigan wasn't the first to put in skyboxes, but they got around to it. So does it surprise me that, that we're not seeing the moves in NIL? No, it doesn't. If this was two or three years from now, I'd be pissed, okay? But I think it's coming. The question that I think... And again, we all say we think because, you know, Jim is not talking about this directly to anybody. Um, I think what Jim wants is, listen, I, I need to, you know, I need money for my assistant coaches. That's always, you know, every coach wants that, right? And then, hey, what's the plan for this stuff? Because there's got to be a plan, okay? Just like there's a plan to 
compete more in the college football playoffs and there's a process, there's also a process for NIL and these other things. What is it? Okay. Because we are seeing the recruiting landscape being warped by NIL. And what's funny is that Michigan should be the one doing it. Okay. Michigan has the network of, of donors and, and successful alumni. Okay. And we're seeing, you know, we saw that Cade McNamara has been hooked up with, um, you know, some of Tom Brady's interests. Um, you know, I would expect to see more like that. But again, where is it? And, and you know, uh, something that we, we I'm sure we're going to be addressing in a future podcast is the NIL right now is the Wild West. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what everybody's doing. But we know there's a lot of people doing stuff, and they're doing more than Michigan. And and would you agree with that assessment, Clint? I, I would. There are lots of the top end contenders that are doing more. I, I do agree with that. I, I I wouldn't say everybody, but many, yes. Many. I I I, I totally agree with that. So so the question is. What's Michigan doing? Are they going to roll something out? And again, if this was a year or two from now, I could see being upset. What's interesting is that um, I think that these are very valid concerns. Um, and, and again, Harbaugh is a very competitive guy. Now, I've said this before too, okay? The, the reason he's so competitive is I wouldn't be surprised someday if he goes back to the NFL. He became he was a whisker away from winning a Super Bowl. Okay. I think that just has to that has to chew on him because of the way he is, because he's competitive, okay? Um and you know, uh it's kind of a uh a strong rumor around the program, okay, that Jim likes Southern California. Nobody anticipated the Raiders job becoming available the way it did. He has a relationship with that ownership. If, if they, you know, back up a huge, um, truck of money and more importantly, control and the, the, um, guarantee that he would have time. Okay. Because one of the things that happened at the 49ers is he was successful and man, he got cross-threaded with the ownership, and as soon as he had a bad year, he was out. Okay, which, which, you know, it, it, it kind of baffles me, but it shows how cross-threaded he was with the ownership. Right, that he came in and turned that uh, returned that program or that that team to uh, to being very successful at a high level when they hadn't been for a while, and. You know, boom, he got cross-threaded with some folks. So there's a lot of things that would need to happen to align, right? Um, and again, of course, you're going to listen. But again, I, I just want to, you know, put the flag down. It's not like, oh, it, they offered him a boatload of money. No, it's not it. That's not it. It, it's, it would be the control. It would be the time. Um, and, and I think it's those things. And, you know, he's also going to need to balance what Michigan can do now in this new landscape. Yeah, I think you you hit it on the head, right? The the dollar amount 
is is one piece of the puzzle and probably not the biggest piece of the puzzle. And and I've put out there a couple times, you know, talking with you and in and, and, and a couple group threads and even out on the Twitter, right? But there are, there are creative clauses and other contracts nationally that um, that I think could be emulated to help take care of this particular situation. And ideally, Michigan and Harbaugh aren't going to find themselves talking about contract terms every single offseason. So um, if Harbaugh does stay, which I, you know, right now, you know, on whatever the date is today, the, the 9th of January, I expect Harbaugh to come back to Ann Arbor, although it's not a, a sure thing. Um, I think what you're going to want to do is, is write a contract that takes care of the stuff that Harbaugh cares about with some type of automated or, or incentive-based triggers. And it's not just if you win the Big Ten title, you get a million-dollar bonus, but um, – the examples that I've used in the past are, are one auto trigger at Indiana for Tom Allen, their head coach. Every time that Indiana qualifies for a bowl game, another year gets tacked onto the back of his uh, contract. Now, I'm not saying that's the standard at, at Michigan or for Harbaugh, but that type of longevity and commitment to the long term and, and committing to the time, like you were saying, I think that you could find a creative answer that does something like that, that, that takes this off of, um, you know, the, the constant conversation about, well, let's, let's wait and see who's got the leverage when, when we get to the, you know, to the 11th hour. And, you know, from a compensation standpoint, again, it's not about the, the amount of money straight into the bank account per se, but that is how right now coaches are, are keeping score, you know, and, uh, James Franklin signed a huge contract. Mel Tucker signed a huge contract. You know, the, these are there are lots of them getting dished out nationally. Brian Kelly obviously signed a huge contract to go to LSU. People are jumping all over the place. So, um, one clause that I thought was interesting is for Nick Saban, the probably the greatest college football coach of all time. What Alabama did was say, "Listen, we're gonna we're gonna." check the average salary of the SEC and make sure that you, you know, your compensation is going to be higher than the average of the, the rest of the contenders for the SEC. So as more coaches get paid better in the SEC, Alabama says, yeah, but Saban's going to go, you know, to the top of that because he's the best coach in the SEC. And they don't have to talk about it on an annual basis, right? This is something that, that they put in there because they, they made that commitment to him because they believe that correctly he's the, he's the best coach in the conference and in the country. So those are the types of approaches that I am hoping that come out of this conversation. Obviously, you know, first and foremost, hoping that there is a contract extension and it gets signed and, and Harbaugh is the coach in 22. Now, with all this conjecture, I think he's going to be back. I hope he's going to be back. But I, I really like the idea of, you know, uh, you know what Alabama does is it, it sounds like a version of the franchise player tag in the NFL, right? Like, mm -hmm, hey, mm -hmm. we're going to average salary. We're going to give you 20%. And, again, what everyone has to understand is that Michigan makes their money on back on Harbaugh. Okay? This is not taking money away from anybody. The football program prints money, okay? Uh, 
So it's just a question of if you have an employee that is, you know, the, the lead of this program and helping you generate tons of real money for other sports and other things. Um, and, and it's interesting, Clint, because I think while Harbaugh took the pay cut last season, last season showed just how vital and how valuable the football program is. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it left a huge hole, a huge, I want to say a dent, but it was more than a dent in the budget. Okay. And that dent is being more than filled in with the success from this season. And if they can continue that, it will continue to, to build. So, um, again, lots to talk about as we move forward. Um, just wanted to get our thoughts down on how we felt about uh, what happened at the Orange Bowl and our, and our mutual disappointment and kind of uh, put the flag down on where we are on the, uh, the drama. And, and I, I say drama in air quotes, right? Um, you know, uh, John Bacon tweets out something that's hilarious every day. It's like day X of the Harbaugh saga and nobody knows anything, which is exactly where everyone is, right? <laughs> the only two people who know are Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel. And, you know, uh, they are, they're keeping it to themselves. I hope that they're having some great conversations. Um, saw Ward at the Orange Bowl. He seemed very happy before the game, not so happy after, but again, we were there. And uh, I think uh, it's, again, it's, I'm really interested in, you know, again, assuming the coaches are going to be back, you know, how do they respond, right? How is this going, how is the um, profile of being in that game going to impact recruiting? And, and where do we go from there? So, um, a lot to talk about. Clint, do you have any final thoughts? No, I just, you know, one more time, this was a great year, a uh, great season uh, from a football standpoint, and uh, and I appreciate getting to share it with you and, and the other guys and uh, looking forward to, you know, jumping into the off season and, and trying to be, you know, creative uh, with, uh, with how we look at things and what we're talking about. And, uh, I, uh, I appreciate, uh, the opportunity to, to share this time with you guys and, and to talk about this stuff. Cause you know, I love, I, I'd be watching it and doing it and crunching the numbers anyway. So to be able to kind of really dive into the inside with you guys is, uh, has been great and, uh, looking forward to 22. Clint, likewise, have really enjoyed the podcasts, really appreciate what you do with the SB plus. And, you know, I'm really disappointed that we're not going to be at the national championship cover in Michigan. But hopefully, in the near future, we will be. So, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue! Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!